the Cinephile and Hissy Fit Podcast, the tirades filled movie debate podcast hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. And I'm William Callsign Daddy Johnson. That sounds about right for you. That's appropriate. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're damn glad to have you folks. Ladies and gentlemen, this is all for Tantrum's sake, where shared passions and high fives wash away any place for hate. In the, in the end, we encourage you all to love what you love. But for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on. This week, we are talking about Top Gun Maverick, the big hitter of Memorial Day weekend for the summer. This is part uh, part of a two double feature. I'm not sure how this is going to drop, but we're going to do a double here between the new Top Gun Maverick and the old original Top Gun. And they are and recommended the new one. by the new one and that? the better one. The new one and the better one. Oh, is that how this is going to shake out? Well, this ought to be hilarious. Uh, This has been recommended to us by every red-blooded man and dad in America. So our format is this. The recommending lover goes first. I guess that's going to be me, seeing as I got a poster on the wall to my right. I will get five uninterrupted minutes to shower my praise and state my high in case. The hater. Uh, that call sign daddy guy over there will follow with mm-hmm. his five uninterrupted minutes of his own to sh- uh, present his counterpoints with any manner of intellectual scorched earth. After that, we'll open it up to 15 to 50 minutes of shared conversation where the hissy fit really gets chippy. Salute your thing, twirl up the hands, fire up the catapult, and let's go. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so I think since we're going to probably release our episode on the first Top Gun first. Let's, sure. um, I mean, for the sake of consistency, I guess we don't have to, but yeah, what, what is your, like, what's like your Top Gun memory? Like what, what, where is Top Gun sit for you in the, in your own personal, yeah. in my personal, I mean, you know, me as a favorites versus best guy, it's, mm-hmm. it's an all time favorite for me. Like that's the first cool, cool movie I remember seeing mm-hmm. as a kid, like wear out the VHS tape, you know, watch it over and over and over. You know, my brother and I calling each other call signs where we can, <laughs> you know, it's around the same time GI Joe was doing a thing, was doing his thing. And, you know, so that, you know, everything military was cool, you know, Midwestern, you know, Republican upbringing where it was okay to, you know, hurrah the military and all that where, Oh gosh, I, I love this movie more than life itself and still do. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to see it um, on the big screen for it. Uh, it would have been, 2016 for his 30th anniversary one of those fathom event things and that was the mm-hmm. first time i think maybe the second time i saw it on the big screen i might have saw it for some midnight movie madness thing for some summer gig you know back in the day mm-hmm. but like a legit restored look of it and mm-hmm. yeah I, I love it i own a steel book 4k i have a wooden poster of it on my wall in the, here in the man cave and uh i i adore it more than life itself like it it's I know I it's like that in Backdraft and Rudy are like my three Gosh. little like youth hero things where like if I didn't want to be a fighter pilot, I wanted to be a firefighter. If I didn't want to be a firefighter, I wanted to be a football player. And all three of those, Rudy was a little later, 93. And so was, you know, Backdraft yeah. in 91. But in terms of like first movie love, like the thing that made you fall in love sure. with big screen things, it's probably sure. Top Gun for me. Okay. Um, no, well, yeah. Top Gun for, I mean, my mom, it, this is what's interesting. My mom, may she rest in peace, was not like a hoorah man person. Like she, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, that just wasn't her thing. She wasn't an action film. She wasn't in stuff, but two films that she did love or two, at least, you know, I should say Top Gun was a film that she did love 
uh, Indiana Jones is another character, I guess you should mm-hmm. say. I, I rem- one of my first movie experiences was her taking me to see The Last Crusade when I was five or six. Um, right. But Top Gun, yeah. When that was on VHS, my mom was like, you got to watch this. This is probably one of the best movies out there. And so that meant a lot because my mom was like, watch this, you know? So uh, I gave it a shot based off of that. And then the fact that it is kind of a hoorah man's movie, you know, for a young boy mm-hmm. to, see all, to see all this going on uh, was incredible. And I, too, wore out the VHS tape. I mean, Top Gun was just, I mean, that, that was, I, I think, I'm trying to think. That, Back to the Future, Gremlins 2, yeah, um, yeah. probably the, those three films I've probably seen more than anything in the history of film. Like I probably, see, I've literally probably seen all three mm. of those a hundred times each. Yeah. Um, if I got but, another one, it's like Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, you know? Like, sure. I, yeah. That was a big one. Thing. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So that was, um, uh, you know, uh, Top Gun was definitely, uh, something that was in my wheelhouse and something that was constantly being played, mm-hmm. uh, in my house. Um, and, uh, and luckily, uh, I, I think it's fair to say, and we'll get into it in the episode about the original, but mm-hmm. I, I think it's fair to say that it's, it actually does hold up as a great oh, yeah. film, Definitely. even, in, I think even so. you know, 35 years later, 36 years later, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess we both ascertained that Top Gun is a big part of our childhoods then. Definitely. I th- I'd say so. So okay. what was your desire level for having a sequel now that we're going to segue into some five minutes here um did you need this did you want this was this dream fulfillment on paper before you ever saw it well i don't know that's tough because i'm not like i'm not someone who automatically rejects things i mean my favorite film of all time is sort of a legacy sequel in blade runner 2049 Mm -hmm. so the concept itself does not sicken me like some people do, like where they're just like, oh, great. I do yeah. remember <laughs> when Top Gun Maverick was first getting like publicity as being filmed. And mm-hmm. I believe there was actually even some, I mean, who knows how long ago this was, was pre-COVID. Yeah. There was even some like posters out and stuff like that. There was oh, some definitely. stuff. This was um, I remember here that summer. Yeah. Well, cause my, cause my mom passed in. So I'm trying to get the dates here. My mom passed in 2021. Let me check my mm-hmm. arm tattoo. 2021. So this must've been 2020 or even 2019. She saw yeah. something and I told my mom, I'm like, yeah, no, they're, they're doing a sequel. And she <laughs> literally slapped the couch and went, you're fucking kidding me. <laughs> she was angry. They were doing a sequel. Like, I think she was probably thinking, you know, she's, she wasn't into the Tom Cruise verse, you know, cause he's kind mm-hmm. of living in his own universe, his own multiverse oh, yeah. where this he's making true. his own movies and doing his own thing. And I don't think she understands that he's still kind of an action star. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she was just kind of like, you gotta be kidding me. I mean, I, I don't blame her. She was probably thinking he was 56, 57 at the time. She's probably thinking, who is this old man re- trying to relive his past glory? Um, so I remember her being quite against it. And for me, for since she was the person that told me to watch Top Gun in the first place, that, that held value to me. So I was a little skeptical, but not for like the tip, typical reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't say that I need it. I, I, I didn't need it. Yeah. I think Top Gun is a perfectly fine film to not have a sequel to. Um, because regardless of... 
in the case of like Blade Runner 2049, you've got a case of a character like the Harrison Ford character who was kind of problematic in the original mm-hmm. kind of have kind of having the ability to be redeemed a little bit in the sequel. Okay. Whereas I think when you have like somebody like Maverick who kind of lives on that edge of fantasy and reality, I think you have the possibility of damaging that image. So I, that's just kind of what I was thinking. So I was, but I wasn't possessive of it. I wasn't like, we cannot have Top Gun Mavericks. It's ridiculous. I was never in that camp. Yeah. Um, So that's, that was my very long answer to your question. (laughs) No problem. I I will start my five to pretty much kind of, to kind of, you know, answer it in the same way. So I was, I was all in, you know, well, I was all in with the qualifiers of how they were putting it together those several years ago, pre COVID when it was coming together. So when I saw, I mean, we've, like you said, kind of comparing, like we know kind of the landscape more than your mom did where mm-hmm. just like how Tom Cruise has been an action star. He's been a mega producer where he's, you're right. He's kind of doing his own thing, bankrolling and funding, you know, funding his own massive movies and playhouse kinds of things. So obviously I knew he was going to be extremely hands-on. I've always heard the stories from back in the day on 86 where he was, it was kind of the beginning of him being very, very, very hands-on. Like, you need to show me how to do this. You need to show me how to do that. So mm-hmm. I knew I was going to get a committed Tom Cruise and that was already plenty. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very, I was like, all right, how are you going to bring this back? Although it wouldn't take much, you know, just, Hey, new, new problem, new thing, bring in the old guy. Like I knew the story wise, you didn't have to do much. But at the same time, I'm like, I, you know, I knew they were going to kind of dig up the past and, and, and have something to do with Goose because that's just kind of where it's going to go. And mm. when they cast Miles Teller as Goose's son, who we do see in 86, and I, I know that we're going to they're going to obviously play with the wiggle room of the year in the movie because, you know, the, the old Top Gun movie you know opens with present day and we know 86 is in present day. <laughs> and Miles Teller is probably too young to play what would be a you know 42 year old goose's kid so but mm-hmm. it, we're all squishing and having a good time and tom cruise of course it looks younger than his age to begin with and that's where that's going to be but um what sold me the most in terms of wanting to kind of come back here and and how it could turn out was the directorial hire of joseph kaczynski uh, he did mm. Tron Legacy, Oblivion, Only the Brave, and his action chops. Not just his with the way he deals with Cruise with Oblivion, because I I really enjoy Oblivion as a as a nice sci fi movie. I think Cruise has a it's a nice more low key part for him compared to Ethan Hunt and a thousand other things. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, the Tron Legacy stuff with Kaczynski is where I'm like, yep, that guy. You give him fighter jets and some practical effects, and also an ambitious guy with Tom and then modern special effects to polish it all up. And you're going to get a damn good looking fast paced kinetic movie. And man, oh man, did I, did I sure get that tonight? Uh, That's where I was paying attention to more things than I was Tom or story beats or how could they modernize this and modernize that. I was just like, all right, I'm here for a summer blockbuster. Can you buckle me into a summer blockbuster that just happens to have some stakes and some characters along the way? And so I was looking for spectacle first. I got spectacle first and I couldn't be happier with the way I got it because I, I, when you hear about like, they have like 900 hours of unused footage where I'm like, good Lord, put that all on the DVD. Uh, Cause, or, or as other people have said, you know, sell that to stock movie companies or whatever you need for footage. Because man, I, this movie was a nice tight two hours, but at the same time, I'm very glad it wasn't a two and a half hour gaudy thing, even though it probably could have been with how much stuff you hear about is there. 
But I think to kind of sound cheesy about him, to kind of close my my minutes here a bit where this is kind of going to land, but I know the movie kind of does the whole, has modern avionics polished in there a little bit more than the 86 movie did. The 86 movie has your techno Babylon jargon, but it's not very descriptive into what it really takes to do what they do. And this movie is all about this daring mission where the G forces are just beyond what the plane can handle, what a man can handle, things like that. And, and the fun part about that is, is the G forces stand for gravity. And with that, can you still get gravity outside of the jet? And the movie for me delivered with that. Like you have a, a nice love interest story. You have a maturing, you know, officer's tale kind of story. You have um, spoiler alert. I don't, I don't think it's a spoiler anymore. This movie has been out for two weeks and the embargo has been lifted for a long time. But you have Val Kimber coming back and things like that. And and for me, by the time you do a goose's son thing, you have the aged uh, Pete Mitchell where you have it. And you put some stakes onto the story that have gravity in the plane and you have gravity out of the plane. That's enough for me to be just edge of my seat eyes rolled back in my head and having a fantastic compelling time with this movie and i'll even end my five minutes early because i think i got minutes to seconds to spare interesting interesting yeah i was there Uh, yeah no i mean i can't let me get my stupid timer here i didn't have it ready because i'm a dummy all right so I mean, I can't say I didn't have fun um, watching this movie. Um, It's just, it's tough. You mentioned, I haven't seen enough of Kaczynski's films to give a proper analysis, but just kind of knowing how Tom Cruise is, it, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of um, like Kevin Reynolds when he would do all those Kevin Costner flicks. It was like, was he really directing the movie? Um, I mean, obviously he had Tron Legacy, Only the Brave, Oblivion with Tom Cruise, and I'm not going to go so far because I don't know enough about him or the situation to see that he's, you know, basically being like a, uh, you know, a Tom Cruise puppet. (laughs) But uh, from what I have seen of him, competent director, yes, but not, I mean, the first problem is it's Tony Scott is a really tough act to follow. And, um, you know, like when I, I go back to my Blade Runner 2049 example, I mean, you have Ridley Scott, who's a very you know strong visual artist, you know, you have to get somebody with that element, which is, um, you know, Denny Villeneuve. Um, uh, I just don't know if Joseph Kaczynski has the chops to pull off a legacy sequel that's supposed to. Uh, be better than the original. And there's a lot of friends that you and I have that have been going on and on about how this is like the greatest movie of the summer and probably of the year. And it's better than the original, which is absurd to say. Um, And the main reason is, uh, and I'll just, I'll, I'll read a little, I'll read my review from Letterboxd and then I'll break it down a little bit. But I said that it was fun, technically brilliant crowd pleaser that hits all the expected notes. Reports that it is better than the original are insane. It's by the book, lacks any sexual energy, hetero or homosexual, and feels far too polished. It's hard to follow up Tony Scott's slightly unearthly sheen, something his brother also has as well. Uh, The last 30 minutes is particularly dumb and absurd, but hey, I'd be lying if I didn't say I had fun. 
Um, I'm not really like a technical guy. Like I, I don't get into like, I, I admire nice visuals and, and good cinematography, but I've always been in it for the storytelling and the emotions. And I just, I have never, this movie just lacks, you know, not the Top Gun was not the original Top Gun was some kind of, you know, mold breaker in terms of storytelling. It fits a pretty eighties macho movie mold pretty well. Um, but what some of the style that was infused in it, that added subtext or, you know, super, super subtext in some cases, you know, with the, the fact that everybody's sweaty and there's just kind of a, a raw sexual energy going on, you know, the fact that like the, the, the planes feel like extensions of some kind of machismo. It just, it, there, there was something to the original Top Gun that this one does not have. And, and that's, that's a shame because, and, and I don't know if that's just a generational thing. I don't think it's a nostalgia thing because I think films stand the test of time if they are truly, really good. I mean, and I think Top Gun is, is one of those films that when you've rewatched it, I rewatched it recently. I showed my daughter it and it worked for her. And it's very, if you want to talk about analog versus digital, I mean, when I was six or seven, I watched Top Gun. I was amazed by it and I'm still amazed by it. The fact that someone who is pretty jaded with technology these days in movies could watch that and be enthralled with it shows that it has legs beyond just the time period of which I have nostalgia. So I just think that there's, kind of a like this movie is virtually the first film beat for beat. Uh, there's a couple of switches here and there, but, um, but ev so every aspect that you are copying is going to be compared to the original, whether you want it to or not. And when you lack some of that Tony Scott style, it takes away from it. It just seems too polished, too clean. Uh, not enough risks. I mean, they talk about this this suicide mission um, that, you know, has to involve miracles to get through, uh, you know, and no one can seem to do it in practice. But as soon as Maverick does it, then everyone can do it because whatever, the strength of belief. It And don't get me started on the fact that in the original Top Gun, despite the fact that he was a quote-unquote maverick, I still felt like Tom Cruise was an actual pilot. And he was limited to the the world. <laughs> this is like, I mean, at one point you've got him literally infiltrating bases at the end and stealing jets, and it just gets absurd. So fun, yes. Stupid, yes. Uh, I, I I give away my. I went thirty seconds over. So there you go. Goodbye. No problem. No problem. No problem. Not bad. Let me get that bell. All right, ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy a short announcement from the Ruminations Radio Network. Hey, this is Charlie, Triple C, from Brevity Box, a new and interesting podcast from the Ruminations Radio Network. If you're a fan of podcasts, we have a lot of great content to offer. Come check out our diverse group of podcasts and hosts at ruminationsradionetwork.com. All right, welcome back. No, um, I, I'm going to kind of fib here a little bit where I am 
um, being chatted up on my Facebook Messenger by our friend of the show and colleague, Ben Calmer. And he is like, he's kind of going, you know, I think this movie's got a paper thin story. And I'm like, all right, I, I'll listen to how so. And he's like, you know, and he kind of doesn't give me an answer. He kind of gives me the whole following the same beats as the original, which I get. And he says they kind of feel, I'll ruin his mojo in case he writes this in his review. Ha ha, Ben. Um, he says it feels hollow, even though they work as their magic. And for me, I get enough here. You know, we have a backstory of a character that, you know, it'd be sillier to me if you spent the first 30 minutes of the movie going like, where are they now with Maverick? And you, you retrace his career like it's the opening of, you know, FN Wolverine or something like that. And, <laughs> you know, where you're just like, all right, let me, you know, I didn't need a 30 minute. Let's, you know, get from 86 to now of what, what Pete Mitchell is. And you get enough of that just walking by and walking in and around kind of the skin of what he's in, you know, between rank and, and activities and all that. And by the time you have that, just that, that very quick backstory, really unnecessary backstory, you've got these deep family ties, of course, with, with Goose's kid. And you build those in, you layer that throughout the movie. And I feel like that was laid just fine in terms of like if you're trying to kind of cure some cinematic concrete you have new characters given consequential things to do you know there is this team these team this team to me is more fleshed out for the kinds of pilots and people they are more than maybe the hollywood and wolfman side acts that were there next to iceman and maverick in the original where that was kind of a, a two-horse race. Obviously, Goose is there and Slider's there just to kind of, you know, be your comic relief or just your extra muscle there a little bit. But by the time we have some of these other pilots on this team, and not all, you know, um, uh, Miles Teller and Glenn Powell, it, it's kind of nice that you have a reasonably well-rounded out ensemble given consequential things to do. By the time you do that, and then you have, uh, you know, kind of the, the, the cool bring back of Penny Benjamin, who was a, a joke in the first movie. And now all of a sudden is a character or circumstance in this. And for me, a very detailed and compelling, like you said, suicide mission, where to me, that beats just flying around the desert and trying to win points for a program like the first movie. So you're elevating it to, you know, uh, injecting yourself into a war ish setting. I know it's more of a conflict and infiltration than anything. But for me, all of that was reasonably elevated stuff when you have to apply that to your aged star so for me yeah i i i it does repeat the story beats i was expecting it not for me i guess what i'm trying to say is you're coming back to top gun you're going to play to top gun's greatest hits i don't feel like this is ghostbusters afterlife about it i know it could veer in that direction if you really wanted to hyper examine it but when i feel like I don't want to sound like this guy who thinks he knows the military, but when you have military routines and superstitious dudes that are like that, they're likely kind of all birds of a feather flock together, I guess is one way I could say it, where the story beats other than a, than a line or two here and there. Like when Miles Teller kind of says, talk to me, dad, the same way that Maverick says, talk to me, goose. Yeah. There's a spot or two where it wears on a little bit, but for the most part, I'm not surprised one bit that Pete Mitchell is a guy still hung up on the biggest loss of his career. And and I I bought that. Um, by the time you have Al Kimmer pulling strings as an admiral, I'm there. So I don't know. Enough things were elevated to me. I I can't. I don't see thin where Ben's talking about. I do see repeats where you're talking about. And so those are fair criticisms. Oh, it's definitely thin. Uh, because um, well, let me. 
you mentioned the side characters. Yeah. Um, there's two things. For one, I got more emotion, understanding, and even a behind-the-scenes subtext story mm-hmm. from John Stockwell's Cougar in the opening sequence of Top Gun yeah. than I got from anybody in this Top oh, Gun Maverick movie. There, but yeah. No, because they literally exist as plot points. Like, Hangman literally exists to be an antagonist first, but then a, a plot device. He's, he's meant to literally be like, I wonder if he'll come through in the end because everyone's telling us that he only thinks about himself. You know, like, it, th- that's what almost every character in this is. Like, I, I, I get nothing from them outside of one yeah. dimension. That's unfortunate. Um, I get, like, for example, the female pilot has to, I kind of, you know, knows kind of both sides of the conflict between Miles Teller's character and Glenn Powell's character. And you have Lewis Pullman pulling it in as Bob. And mm-hmm. just, yeah, I, they're nice arcs. They were never going to take over your movie, but compared to just stock t shirts and aviator glasses, they're better than that. And I, I, I enjoyed that. And for me, I'll tell you what, Glenn Powell, I love Glenn Powell. He could do no wrong. I've been singing his praises since everybody wants some several years sure. ago, where mm-hmm. that guy, that guy needs to have a jetpack on his back and be launched at stardom. How he, how his charisma doesn't get more leading man mm. rom-com action whatever roles you want that guy can do anything i love glenn pop yeah i mean i've seen him in some good stuff i mean i wouldn't you know put this on his acting reel he's just being kind of a smarmy cocky guy i mean i mean j- just to even compare him to let's just look at tom cruise i mean sure. uh you know the one thing I love about Tom Cruise and I, and I will give him a lot of credit for this is I've always admired his intensity. Um, Mm -hmm. What I love about Tom Cruise is that you can always see that he's got something cooking behind the eyes. You can see what he's thinking, you know, and he gives a fantastic performance in this. I think, I think he gives some brilliant stuff. Um, I think it's a lot of stuff that people take for granted with Tom Cruise. Uh, Cause Tom Cruise is not a chameleon actor. He's no, not agree. someone who's going to disappear into a role or something. Um, he is someone who, you know, uses his personality quirks and that intensity to his advantage. And, and he does that here. There's a great scene with him and Val Kilmer where, you know, yeah. he has to, he has to do most of the talking, you know, right. and, and he, delivers some amazing stuff. And if you just watch his eyes, uh-huh. he, he gives so much. And then, you know, and, and I know it's not fair to maybe compare Glenn Powell to Tom Cruise, but w- what I'm seeing Tom Cruise operate at here. And then what I'm seeing someone like Glenn Powell operate at where he's just kind of supposed to be smirky and smarmy. It, it is just, the, I mean, there's levels to this. Like, sure. I feel like Tom Cruise is giving me three dimensions. This guy's giving me one. And yeah. that to me is with that, comes down to the script because what were you right yeah write that character to be more than a smile and a smirk right i just don't see like anything i don't see anything going on behind his eyes other than the expected beats and you know for me i get triple the charisma from glenn powell than i do miles teller and I know both of them were mm. up for the part of Goose's son. And I was mm-hmm. really hoping for Glenn Powell to get it. Because to me, when I picture, you know, the, 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 
the garrulous goose, I see Glenn Powell more than I see Miles Teller. Miles Teller can be your, you know, your, your, you know, resting mean man, someone peed in my Cheerios face and that shitty ass mustache. Um, (laughs) Like, like that's what Miles Teller can do. Whereas Glenn, if you were to kind of flip those roles and Glenn's playing the piano and Glenn's a bit more cocky and, and Glenn could play Glenn when he wants to could play mad and then still play cocky, which would be, I'd be a blast. I was rooting for Glenn, but, um, but miles yeah. miles is okay. So no, he's, he's fine. I mean, yeah. I don't know, man. I, I've never, other than Whiplash, I I don't think I've ever seen Miles Teller or anything I've liked. I so yeah, I, 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 I don't know. Pull. I know it's mm. a deeper pull because no one really liked it, but me, Fantastic but, Four. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I enjoyed um I enjoyed his romantic comedy, uh, that awkward moment with him, mm. uh, um, Michael B. Jordan, Jordan. And I'm trying yeah. to think who the third was in that. I, oh, Zac Efron, and not. I, I liked it. I know it's hard to find a good, sure. to me, it's hard to find a good sex farce. And that movie plays a little bit like a sex farce, like the you know, old nineties, mm. you know, 40 days and 40 nights kind of sex farce. And, and there's some charisma there. And I wish sure. Miles Teller showed more of that before. Of course he was happy to be there by the end. And, and you're right. That last 30 minutes gets a little behind enemy lines. Owen Wilson. Oh, yeah. 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 Like that's probably piling on uh, for, for sure. But I, the movie kind of, has you there to go ahead and pile on. And I'm, again, I, I, I see it as excessive, but at the same time, I'm a piece of that because, yeah, gosh. Well, I mean, but that's kind of the cool part about the first Top Gun is... It doesn't go that. It, 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 it very realistic. I mean, let's not say too realistic because, I mean, it is kind of also absurd, but... Sure. It, it it grounds itself in reality. Let's put it that okay. way. Whereas this one is kind of like, I mean, and I don't know if this is the Ethan Hunt, Tom Cruise vacation of his career, but you know, <laughs> when you're opening the movie with him, yeah, that's stealing true. a jet and going 10.2 G's and blowing up into space. And then you, you have a scene where literally on an air force base with full security, he's stealing planes and running mm-hmm. missions. And then, of course, I mean, don't get me wrong. I wanted to laugh the entire time. As soon as he cracked, I don't know what it is. Like, as soon as he was on land mm-hmm. during the mission and a helicopter shooting at him, I, I no longer felt like this was Pete Maverick Mitchell. I thought this was yeah. something different. And that takes me out of a Top Gun movie. Like, I don't see, like, I can't see Maverick and Goose evading attack helicopters and stealing planes from a foreign base. We'll call it a yeah. unknown foreign power because uh-huh. yeah, who knows yeah, yeah. who the hell it was. But As Tom Cruise being very wise not to piss off international audiences. Right. I, I just, that to me no longer, fe- and that's, that's what hurts something is because then, and we, we might talk about this. I'm going to try to steer away from the, uh, sequel when we talk about the original, but Same here. Um, because I want to keep it within the context of just watching one film, but it does also kind of infiltrate how you view that movie because mm. I mean, because I've had that happen to me where a, a shitty sequel can ruin an original for me. I've tried, I've, I had one, a, a sound review where that happened to me where I'm like, this pisses away all the good graces that I had before. I'll think of it well, while you keep talking. Well, I mean, even even to smaller degrees. Like, don't get me wrong. I 
I love seeing Val Kilmer. I mean, not only just because we know what he's been through now as a person. Right. And and you get that that moment with them. But I mean, I just never thought just with his character, I just never pictured him being an admiral, you know? Oh, like I, I don't know. I, I don't know. It just it never struck me as like he would be this incredible admiral that has sway over so many people that he can pull Maverick out of this situation. And, and also the, here's my weird comp of the episode, but oh, here it comes. The, I love it. the, the captain Pete Mitchell thing reminds me of a lot of Star Trek movies where they had to figure out ways to keep captain Kirk as a captain <laughs> because, yeah. because, you know, he would really like when Shatner, Bill Shatner was getting in his sixties, it's like, yeah, he should probably be like an admiral now at a desk, uh-huh. yeah. but they always had to kind of bust him down to captain. I mean, there's one scene, this is where I kind of knew things were getting a little kooky is when Ed Harris is like, you have like 900 distinguished stars and you should be a two-star admiral by now, but you're still yeah. a captain. He was a captain in 1986. I, I, I don't, I don't even know. I mean, a lot of people can fall into being more than a captain, mm-hmm. you know, like, like, uh, you know, over time. So I it just, th- there's too much credulity being stretched for me to, that's fair to do it. And, um, saved by Cruz himself with some of his down to earth performances that I miss. I, I, I love, I particularly love the sequence where Jennifer Connelly is talking to him after they've had sex, presumably because this movie is sexless. Um, oh boy. That it is. No, it is. It's sexless. I know. Movie. I know. I know. I, I'm not, I'm trust me. I, I'm not like one of those people that thinks like movies have to have sex in them. But I mean, you're talking about one of the sexiest movies ever made and you're making a legacy sequel to it and it has no sexuality whatsoever. But my point is um, she's asking, talking to him about why, you know, why did she, did he pull Rooster's papers and set his career back and everything. And I love, I love that scene where like he says, well, his mom begged me to do it and I did it. And she's like, why didn't you tell him that? And she's, and he's like, let him hate me. Don't let him hate his mom too. You know what I mean? Like in death. And I, I just was really moved by that. Cause I was just like, you know, that's, that's what a, that's what like a, a hero well, does, you know, I, I, I also know. think of, I also think of kind of the, the maturation, um, benchmark that they're kind of going for with this movie where are we really going to have, uh, an acid tit sweaty sex scene with two, 55 year olds it's just you're well, not gonna have i'm not asking you're for gonna have but you're gonna have a glossy camera smoothie little cuts and some pillow talk and that's that's no, what that's, you're gonna get no that is totally fine i, I yeah, that's huh? not what i mean what i mean is is there's a lot of stuff going on like i was just i was begging for like they, they hint at it a little bit like at the ends the end sequences you know when you got uh john ham and the uh in the aircraft carrier uh-huh. watching things go down and there's like a little bit of sweat on his chest, but not really. And the volleyball it's slash air conditioner since 1980. Well, I know, but I mean, I, I just, <laughs> I, there's something about like, that's a stylistic point that you feel is missing because that was so important to kind of selling like this. I mean, one of the songs on the soundtrack is hot summer nights. Like it, it just, mm-hmm. it felt like everything was sexually charged. Yeah. You know, because you're in, you know, you're in these sure. 
Mach I, seven, I, Mach seven planes, yeah. and you're going to speed of sound, and like this one, and, and this one, like I said, when you start to copy things from mm-hmm. the original, which is fine for a legacy sequel to do, it's like, like I not only was I unable to feel any attraction to any of the characters when they're playing whatever the fuck they're playing, whatever football they're playing on this beach. But at times I wasn't even sure who was who. Sure. Like, and I mean, to me, it's like, this is supposed to be your, you know, I mean, I know that, I know that women, I know that women get ogled a lot in eighties films, but that volleyball scene, I mean, my daughter was in love with that. She was like, that was awesome. I mean, but that that was like to showcase like male bodies. This one was just like, everyone looks so, jacked and too perfect it just didn't look right it didn't feel sexy that's that's like here we go again that's that's a shit as much as we're talking about a maturation point of characters and a bench benchmark Mm -hmm. there you have to also put the passage of time there you know and i want to call a shitty person somewhere is going to call this a very woke movie where i wouldn't go that far i know i wouldn't go that far either but like the the idea that you're talking about of dialing down to sweat dialing down the sexism dialing down the animalistic this and that and you you just you make these and how maybe the military has changed from 86 where these guys are intelligent skilled professionals acting like intelligent skilled professionals unless they want to you know you know uh, let off some steam at a bar or at a football game so I, it's like these guys now are, you know, the, the avionics and the levels of stuff they have to do now is different than just, Hey man, fly by the seat of your pants, pull that stick and go, you know, like, so these, they, they're making, these guys aren't, the era is different. So the, the pilots are going to come a little different too, which is why they kind of have the dinosaur stuff going on with, with crews. And mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. I, I see the attempts at maturation. I don't think it's to the level of wokeness where we're just trying to erase the titillation or the heat of what was there. I just mm. think they're, I just think they're modernizing it because it's been time. And if you were to make a big sweaty '80s thing, it would look like, hey guys, we you know we've got air conditioning now, <laughs> or we have planes that aren't <laughs> that difficult to fly, or we have training that we could do this way and that way instead of you know really raw and silly ways. And I just I don't know. I see maturation where you see uh, reduction, I guess is the way to say it. Um, I mean, I guess. I mean, because they all still seem like, well, I guess you're right. I mean, they're not breaking rules and stuff like Maverick is. I right. don't know. It's, it's a tough. I it mean, is. When you, say, I when, you say the, when you say the maturation point, I mean, I guess, but I mean, and I'm not, trust me, as someone who's still going through grief, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying grief is like something you have to get over, but it has been 36 years since the guy died. And I I don't know if it's necessary for you to go back to that character being dead, being such a focal point, because it's almost like that story arc was resolved in the first one. Like he got over it. I mean, the, the whole thing about him throwing the dog tags into the ocean was he was, yeah. he had closure with it. He was done with goose. Yeah. Like, and now That's it's easy. like, he's still tortured by the, the death of him. And well, tri- the easiest trigger to point to there is the, the presence of his son, the one he pre- prevented to try to get to the Navy. And here we are still stuck in this situation and in a mission that likely is not looking good forever goes like you add all that together. I see triggers. Sure, and and that's fine, but I mean, also the fact that he's 
almost, I mean, what was like the most maverick things that he did? I mean, he slept with a teacher, <laughs> but yeah. And he, he would buzz the tower. Yeah. But I mean, did you ever think that he was going to go steal a plane sure. or he's going to raid uh, an airfield? Like, you know what I mean? Like I, yeah. you see the these maturation points, but yeah. then there's also like, yeah, the maybe there's some the part. No, the steal the plane thing. No problem. He's like, he steals a plane twice. Yeah, he steals a plane twice in this. No, three times. He steals a plane three times three in times. this movie. Yes. Which is absurd. I mean, that's absurd. Yeah. Um, it's almost like mythologizing a character that doesn't need mythology. Like Tom that, Cruise. Was- uh, that I will grant. That's Tom Cruise. This is still, without a doubt, a Tom Cruise glamour project for sure. I'm not saying this is Mark Wahlberg level. Hey, everybody look at me and how cool I am. But Tom has been on that level for a long time. And this is, I mean, Jesus Christ, his name is above the title and it's everywhere you ever move it. And this, he is definitely probably trying too hard to, to say in the youthful parts of the movie, or at least in the youthful comparison parts of the movie, hey, look at me. I can hang too. Watch me break some rules. Watch me take my shirt off and go play football. Yes, there's parts of that too. Now, with that comes the stuff you're that you're enjoying, the the Jennifer Connelly stuff, the Val Kilmer stuff, where his growth of like, hey, look at me. I can also do this helps a little right. bit too. Well, yeah. And I mean, but there's also the, the other thing that drove me nuts about the absurdity of the ending 30 minutes is uh-huh. not only do you technically get goose and Maverick back together in the old car, uh, yeah. but you yeah. know, like there's, there's the actual audacity for them to sh- say that, you know, it's not the plane, it's the pilot, but the wow. fact that you have these incredibly antiquated, you know, uh, plane going up and surviving barely, but surviving against the greatest modern technology ever. If that's not a, I like a Cialis commercial for Tom (laughs) Cruise's career. I mean, what else? I mean, because what else is saying, Hey, this old plane can still fuck you. You know what I mean? Like I, (laughs) I I do buy into some of that pilot, not the plane thing. Cause and and I know the mo- the movie overhammers it because the entire opening scene is testing some special craft that is you know <laughs> competing against the drone project and and Ed Harris being there to represent you're a dinosaur you're gonna get canceled out by unmanned things that don't have to pee and shit and stuff like that like Ed Harris has this little red ass <laughs> moment you know um but no I I I buy that I I. I I watch NASCAR every Sunday. Those cars are built to be the same as the pilot, not the car. So what? NASCAR every Sunday. You watch NASCAR? I don't, but I know of it enough to the point. I used oh, to. Oh, I was like, what are you talking no, about? I don't have time for it. I, don't I have time never knew you watched NASCAR. No wonder but you like Days of is, Thunder, even though it's well, awesome. I love Days of Thunder anyway. But um <laughs> no, but um no, watch watch any racing sport. Um okay, okay, fictional okay. or otherwise, and you see pilot versus car. So to speak, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, and and having just recently watched Days of Thunder for the first time, yeah, oh. they, they make they make God that they actually that's actually a plot point in that movie Correct. is the same as Top Gun Maverick because doesn't he doesn't doesn't Tom Cruise and Robert Duvall have a speech in that where he talks about how stock cars are literally stock they're meant yeah. to be the same for everybody so yeah. in the end it's the driver correct that right well but 
that you makes sense. The dinosaur if, F14 versus the fifth generation. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like yeah, if, yeah, yeah. if every if every vehicle is the same, yes, the driver uh-huh. is going to make the difference with their instincts. But uh-huh. if you have if you have a, a plane that's 40 years old, God knows it has any maintenance whatsoever versus, you know, this uh-huh. and, and they, they do play with it a little bit. Like there's a great there's a great moment. I, I did laugh. Not in a bad way. Like I laughed with it because, you know, it kind of plays with the original Top Gun where, you know, Tom Cruise has got the guy in his sights and he missile locks him, you know? Yeah. And, you know, in the first movie, it's like, once you were in missile lock, I mean, it was over, right? Uh-huh. And, and then he shoots the missile and then this fucking thing, like, does like a... <laughs> like flying squirrel and, yeah yeah and it was like it's, and the, one pretty, F-word, it's the f-bomb drop of the movie you know the one yeah PG i love that i love that i, I, I was like what the fuck too. was that like I, yeah. that was cool <laughs> yeah. so like i mean yeah. that was that was fun but still yeah you know the fact that that would even have a shot right no, I, I mean, mean I, and, I don't know well yeah. in the end i mean I, I still see Guile. I still see a pilot ahead of a uh, ahead of the machine who still has mm-hmm. to get his ass who still gets shot up and still get his ass bailed out by buddies with other planes. So it's not it's not like it's not complete David versus Goliath. It's not co- you know. There's we've seen movies. If this was a real Cialis commercial, the F fourteen would win handily, and it doesn't. That's true. Fine. That's yeah. true. So I, I I don't know I. I see what you're saying. The the excessiveness is there. I think the excessiveness is par for the course because it's a Tom Cruise movie. But um, sure. but yeah, I got depth where I got depth through maturation. That's kind of my closing piece there. Where I got enough. I and I had a, of course I had a blast. We watched it in Dolby Atmos, where it just rattled your ass the whole movie. Lady yeah. Gaga's closing song was nice. Loved Jennifer yeah. Conley. I, I was there. I was in. Just. I will um, not call it whether the people call it. I will not call it equal or better than the original. That's for sure. Can't well, go once, there. Ag- once again, just like with No Time to Die this year or last year, Ooh, whatever. Yep, you have top. another. You have another Hans Zimmer overplaying yeah. something. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. overdoing the. You know, it, because it's Hans Zimmer. That's like fair. when you listen to the Top Gun anthem, like when you put the soundtrack on. Uh-huh. I think there's only like two bells, you know, the ding. <laughs> yeah. Like with Hans Zimmer, there's 58 bells and it's like, <laughs> it there's like, like that, yeah, there's like seven guitars layered <laughs> over each other. It sounds like a rush yeah. album instead of like uh-huh. the Top Gun anthem. Like the music kind of bothered me, but I mean, the sound design. I mean, if this doesn't uh-huh. get some kind of like uh-huh. Oscar love, the like the original special. did from the technical side, I mean, the visual effects are pretty solid. I mean, there's still, Where's a blurry moment where you're like, ooh, that looks fake as fuck? I I don't I, I can't I, find one. No, to me it's the explosions. I think the explosions okay. yeah. um yeah. you know, the explosions to me look too fake. There's something going on with CGI we have to talk about. It. And even my beloved Marvel has this problem. Ooh, here we I, go. Calm no, no, I, no, I I do feel that there's almost like this since there's such a reliance on CGI that's true that people don't really give it the attention maybe it used to get mm-hmm. um what's because easy, what's your marvel example um because if you say doctor strange my head's nodding through the podcast microphone i give doctor strange a little bit of a pass because of the sam raiminess of it because sam raimi is kind of corny. yeah you're yeah. going it's not meant to be hyper realistic there. Um, Spider-Man, yeah, I, 
You Spider-Man had some rough edges. Spider-Man some had some digital, rough edges. Some of the digital doubles of Spider-Man bend a little too Play-Doh-y, where you're like, wait a second. Especially when you have Tom Holland who could kind of do his own shit. So yeah, and I didn't I didn't like Electro in that. It felt too Yeah. It, yeah. it felt a little too staticky. And yeah, there's definitely some issues with more recent Marvel films, but I that's probably the same problem with the Fast and Furious films. I'm sure it's that's it's com- true. It's yeah. common with a lot of big budget stuff now. Um uh-huh. where I think I mean, even I was seeing a clip the other day from um <sighs> Well, uh, here's a, here's another one I'll give you. It's like it, it comes in patches. There there are moments in Spider-Man No Way Home that are brilliant visually, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. there's some where you're kind of like, man, they ran out of time on a Sunday or something. Yeah, um, yeah. like Shang Chi is another great example of that. There is some astounding okay. visual effects in that in that movie, but then there are also some sequences that are just you're like, whoa, uh-huh. you know, like what the I, hell I, did, were they doing on that day? I mean, but it, it happens I everywhere. Agree with like you that they're like, taking, they're taking spectacle for granted because you could get away with a lot. Whereas attention to de- like, if I don't want to say less is more, but if, um, but if you put more attention to detail in fewer sequences where you're not over time and over budget, you yes. probably have a tighter, sharper looking movie. Well, and then someone was showing me something. It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't, take me out of the film because like i said i'm there always there for story and character first yeah yeah yeah, but i remember someone was showing me a clip from a movie i haven't seen yet which i would like to see it was it death on the nile the Uh um kenneth branagh movie the perot movie as the kenneth branagh guy yeah 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 but uh there was a scene someone was showing on twitter where Mm. like they're walking around the pyramids or something and it's very clearly green screen you know and yeah it doesn't too well lit in the most perfect studio light direction matched yes. against skies that should be searing you with sunlight. Yeah. And, and I think taken out of context, cause like people were doing that uh, recently with Shang-Chi. Someone was like, I think like, I think the haters like mm-hmm. to point to like those one, mo- those moments where it doesn't work yeah. and focus on that. And then the, the the zombie fans like maybe myself <laughs> like they like <laughs> sure. to point to the parts that work and then there's something in between like i'm sure death on the nile wasn't that awful and then in context it's fine. is it is it really like is it really taking you out of the movie like no. i said with shang chi like at the end of that i mean those monsters are beautifully created mm-hmm. uh all the sequences the of the rings dragon. is really cool yeah. the water dragon's cool oh gosh, yeah. yeah but but yeah but there then there are moments yeah where it looks like they're standing on a green screen i get it like yeah but there's there's context to everything this movie unfortunately is so focused on giving you realistic air stuff mm-hmm. with the planes um there is one or two moments with the planes where I was kind of like, okay, now you're just getting silly. But uh, like for one, when you first, uh, when, when Maverick first starts messing with them uh-huh. and he comes through the middle <laughs> of the two yeah. planes and one of them Couldn't like, do that with, yeah. Yeah. Couldn't one of them flips thing. like three times and I was like, okay, that's enough. But no, uh-huh. they did such an amazing job at getting the aerial stuff, right. That like when it came time to the explosion oh, stuff, like, yeah. like all the, all the stuff with when they're trying to hit the target, uh-huh. All the stuff when they do hit the target, they hit the airfield, all that stuff, it, it, it feels too computer generated. And, and mm. it doesn't take me out of it. It doesn't take me sure. out of it, but it, it has the you same Marvel. You squint. Yeah. Yeah. It, it has the same Marvel problem where you're kind of like, like I said, you have moments of brilliance mixed with like, 
Uh, we need an explosion here. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, and so cover this up with something red. Yeah. Right. So that's 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 my only complaint. I, but I mean, visually, it's a stunning movie. It's sound wise, oh, it's probably wow. one of the best films I've heard. I mean, I'm trying to think of because I saw it in the IMAX. So um, the last time I saw it in Dolby, the last time actually was the first time I saw a movie in Dolby was the or the second time I saw a movie in Dolby was the time I'm thinking of where the last movie to really rattle good was Baby Driver for me. Mm, okay. Where like okay. that, man, that that hummed in, in a big screen. Mm, yeah, because my first Dolby experience was... Dune, was but, well, that's nah, what I was going to say. Dune, let's take offs and landings and yeah, just drown a noise and you're good. Like, detailed sound work, I got Baby Driver more than Dune. Yeah, yeah. Dune was one that sticks out in my head. Mm-hmm. But I mean, even without Dolby, like I, I saw Blade Runner 2049 at the Majestic and yeah, even just yeah. on, uh, and I mean, this is not a specialized system. It's not Dolby. It's not IMAX, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have the right sound system, I mean, that film was like shattering my soul, like on an sure. audio level. So this, this, this film is up there in terms of like audio, like, mm-hmm. uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like audio precision, maybe. Not not precision. Like I'm trying to think of like experiencing something like putting me in the place. Like ah, immersive. Immersive. This is audibly immersive. This experience because I mean the opening sequence, which is the exact same opening sequence as the first Top Gun. When you're on the when you're on the yeah yeah. uh, on the carrier, Carrier. like I feel like those planes are lifting off like in my face. Like because they they go closer and louder with the clicks and the catapults and the wheels and like that's Kaczynski getting you. uh, Hey, I'm going to emulate this, but I'm going to bring you a little Mm -hmm. closer. You know, so I was into yeah. Yeah, so I mean, this is, I mean, I, I will never not recommend this movie because Same. in the end, you're still getting Top Gun-like stuff. Mm-hmm. You're going to get some amazing action. You're going to get some technical mastery. Yeah. Um, you know, will this, I mean, when I rewatched Top Gun recently, like uh, Netflix has like a pretty shoddy version of it like it's not like remastered or anything it it, it yeah. almost feels like a vhs rip which is fine because yeah. the way that like tony scott shoots films there's kind mm-hmm. of like a quality to it that i kind of like yeah. anyway and, and days of thunder has the same thing hbo max doesn't have the best quality uh transfer right. of that but there's something about that 90s tony scott feeling sure sure um but you know will this hold up like if i watch it on tv you know, three years question. from now, I yeah. I don't know. Whereas yeah, I watched, the first, yeah, I watched the first one on full blast 4K. You know, and it was yeah. chef, chef kiss. So yeah, so I you know, I mean, I am. Um, I would recommend it. Uh, yeah. You know, as as long as you can see it in as immersive an experience as possible, yeah. because I mean, when all else fails, you're going to get some, even though it may be absurd, some pretty astounding action yeah. stuff. And um, if your heart is open like mine, the gravitas of some character beats are there, in my opinion. But we'll let you decide, folks. Yeah, we'll let you guys decide because, I mean, I'm right. You're wrong. But still, I we'll let you right decide. You feel wrong, too. So we'll see. We'll see. I always feel wrong inside. We'll see. They're Don, not, you know, take me to bed or lose me forever. Okay, buddy? Oh, show me the way home, honey. <laughs> 
Are we are we done with this Top Gun Maverick thing? Well, when you say show me the way home, money. Well, you know, here's I'll well <laughs> one one more thing, real quick. Okay. I mean, we don't. I mean, it's definitely not going to be thirty six years because Tom Cruise will be like eighty seven. But uh huh. You think we'll get another one? I do. I think they're crazy <sighs> enough to think like this is going to make a zillion dollars. Um, and Tom's kind of in that zone where you know this was the dip in the water thing where. But you've got, it depends on how much people fall in love with the young cast members because you, you need a baton to pass a little bit. Like it can't all be Tom where you need, you need Miles Teller and Glenn Powell and the like to carry a movie because Good God. do you feel like, I feel like it was open-ended enough where, yeah, what's one more time? Like we saw four, how many Daniel Craig movies did we see where it was like, let's bring him back just this one more time. Like from Skyfall on was like the, was like his last mission. <laughs> and it kept like, well, is, and where Skyfall <laughs> kind of like forced him back after being out of commission. And then, which makes Spectre no sense it. because yeah. the first two films are technically his first mission. I know. And so then it retires like, this easily. So, but, yeah. so be, but between Skyfall Spectre and uh, No Time to Die, like how many times can you bring him out of retirement? So I wonder if they're going to beat that horse or not. I would be equally unsurprised if this was it too, which would be fine too. I mean, like I said, it, you're not going to get another sequel. If anything, you'll get a remake 36 years from now. Um, I but like not a sequel. Yeah. Well, no, no, yeah, but I'm just saying, like, in terms of Tom Cruise, I mean, if they That's don't true. make, if they don't make one, I would be generally satisfied. Yeah, yeah. With the end of his story, I mean, this uh, riding of, off into the sunset with the girl—that's you got an ending here. Yeah, there's no, there's no romance there. It doesn't exist. No, but whatever. Okay, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't exist. But uh, again, right, we, I don't know what flapping asses and titties you need for quote unquote romance. But okay, well, there wasn't any flapping ass and titties in the first one, and that was I totally didn't fine. You need that you know, I, I don't, I got, I don't I got, need that. Their bar I, I chat got, had me where I saw the romance, and uh, my goodness, can Jennifer Connelly stare a whole? Well, Jennifer Connelly's got it. eyes that could oh, bore uh-huh. bore holes into you. But no, no, I, 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 I hate to. I, I I know this is going to sound weird, but like mm-hmm. to me, Tom Cruise and Kelly McGillis had like a spark and energy. Like I did not get that from. Oh, see, I, I'll take from Connelly Jennifer Connelly any day of the week and twice. Well, time. I think most people would. No, I mean, with the eyes the... and smolder, I was bought into. Mm. She was more convincing than Les Bang, my instructor from the first movie. I'll say it like that. I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah. There was something about. No, there was something about it. <laughs> There's something about McGillis in that movie that I think is uh, does oh, not no, give enough geez. credit. She she has uh, resolve as what who who she is and what she is, right. and and obviously has a a place of influence in terms of where that story can go and can talk him off of mm-hmm. cliffs. But I see Connolly doing that here, and again mm-hmm. with age and maturity where that can go. So and while still being a stunner, so sure, I, I'll I'll take Connolly. All right, fine. I mean, mm-hmm. it is what it is. I mean, I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't toss her out either. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, all right, so let's end this ridiculousness. Um, this ending was more preposterous than the movie. Uh, was I want it, you to, <laughs> it was because we were like, we literally like signed out, and then I said, Wait, one more thing, you sure had more did. endings than a Peter Jackson movie. All right, 
Follow us on Twitter at Cinephile Fit and on Facebook at Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast. Also find us both on Letterboxd. Thank you so much for your captive audience and social media participation. Cinephile Hissy Fit is a 25YL media podcast brought to you by RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Please visit, rate, review, and subscribe. We are also on Rotten Tomatoes, the new Banana Meter, and have become charter members of the new, unless you're listening to this in 2058, Independent Film Critics of America group. If you enjoyed this show, Ruminations Radio Network has more where that came from, with wonderful programs and interesting hosts just like us. Our show and others are available on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.